Dave prayed for us uh, in general a few minutes ago. I'm going to pray for four specific things this morning as we, uh, before we look into God's word. Uh, Chelsea Houck is due this week, and Mary Miller is going to have a baby on Wednesday unless she comes before the baby, not Mary, but they'll both be there. And uh, Art Connor, uh, our dear brother Art, had a heart attack on Monday and was in the hospital. He's home now. Uh, but he had just been in the hospital for pneumonia, so we'll pray for Art. And or we're going to pray for the Browns, too. Yesterday was uh, Kelly Brown's uh, mother's um, service, and the flowers are from that. And uh, we're going to pray for those four things briefly this morning. Shall we? Let's pray. Father, you tell us to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And we care for one another by bringing each other to the throne of grace. Lord God, you knit together two baby girls in their mother's wombs, and this week we anticipate uh, to see them. We look forward to that. Lord, we do pray, though, uh, for Mary, and we pray for Chelsea, as uh, they will be enduring labor this week, this difficult um, endeavor to which you have called mothers. Lord, we pray that you would sustain and strengthen them. We pray that the doctors would be wise and insightful and compassionate. We pray for their husbands, that you would grant them uh, perseverance and uh, sensitivity and care towards uh, these uh, women as they give birth this week. Oh, Lord, uh, enable us next week to rejoice at seeing uh, two beautiful pictures of wonderful baby girls and we'll give you thanks for them. Lord, we lift up to you our dear brother Art, who uh, has spent more time in the hospital this month than anybody would want to. Lord, we thank you that uh, you have sustained him. He has been a follower of yours for decades. We pray that his faith would not fail in the midst of uh, these uh, medical calamities that he is undergoing. Lord, we pray that you would grant him patience as he recovers. Uh, We pray that you would uh, work in his life by your spirit so that his gentleness would be evident towards those who are seeking to care for and encourage him. We pray, Father, even as he's anticipating surgery he needs in the next uh, few months. Oh, show him kindness. You have been his help for uh, many years, and we pray that you would carry him through what is to come. And Lord, we think of our sister Kelly this morning and her family as uh, she lost her mother last month and then we had the service yesterday. Lord, we're grateful to you for uh, the fact that when we meet together to grieve, we do so hopefully because Jesus is our resurrection. We thank you that we can celebrate that even as we grieve. I pray for Kelly, though. Uh, Lord, it was uh, Sundays that they would uh, see her often for uh, lunch and pizza. And I pray that as they um, go through this Sunday and the Sundays that are to come, that you would uh, fill them with joy at glad memories of a mother and of a grandmother. Uh, Sustain them in their grief. Help them to grieve with hope, we pray. We ask these things. Uh, because you have commanded us to ask, and we ask together in the name of Jesus, saying, Amen. This morning we have a wonderful privilege of hearing from Dr. Doug Finkbeiner this morning. Uh, His biography is in the bulletin. There's numbers that go along with this. 31 years of marriage. 
in those uh, 30 of those years, four graduate degrees. Uh, Dr. Finkbeiner's wife, Sherry, is here this morning. You should know that if you have been in a marriage for 31 years that have involved four graduate degrees, this is an honorable woman. She's here with us today. Six children, three of them are here, two. He even brought his mother-in-law with him to church. It's going to be a good sermon. I have every confidence. Uh, 13 years of pastoral experience, 10 years of teaching, two at Lancaster Bible College, Uh, we're really happy that he is here to open God's word to us. We should be enthusiastic supporters of those who teach and train future pastors and missionaries and school teachers and counselors, and uh, Dr. Finkbeiner is among those. So let us, the children of God, listen to the servant of God as he opens the word of God to us this morning. Well, good morning. Am I, am I on? Okay, good. This is a pretty simple mic. There was just one switch, because like when there's two, I normally get them all confused. So if you can hear me, that's, that's really a good thing. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn over to Psalm chapter 73. We'll be looking at that psalm together in our time. I want to mention to you the gentleman that was leading us in worship. We want to thank you for... It was wonderful. I, I, I love... Be, my, be Thou My Vision. That, that, that song like never gets old, does it? And just, just a wonderful delight. And Joel, thank you for inviting me to come. Um, it's a joy to be with your people. Let's look to the Lord in prayer before we look into his word. Father, we, we delight that we are accepted in the beloved. We thank you for our blessed Lord Jesus Christ who gives us hope and purpose and meaning. We pray that your Spirit would work on our hearts this day to make us more like him. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. It's been a couple years. Um, My children now are much older, but I remember when they were young, you know, about two to three years of age, and you probably remember having this similar kind of experience where they kind of go through that stage where they ask why all the time. You, You know what I'm talking about? So you say, honey, it's time to go to bed. Why? Now, you're wondering, should I get engaged in a discussion with a two-year-old at this point? But you, well, because you need your sleep. Why? <laughs> because you're two-year-old, two years old. Why? And eventually you just say, I don't know. You, you're just going to bed right now. You, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it, but, but there's that stage where they just go, why, 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 why? Well, like it never ends. I thought about that. I wonder if we spiritually ever get away from that. Do you ever question God? You get up in the morning, stub your toe, the bedpost, wander into the bathroom, you find out that the water's cold rather than hot. You can't find that shirt because it's in the washer. You can only find two pairs of socks and nothing matches have you had those kinds of experiences? And sometimes in the midst of that, you sit on your bed or you look around and you look up and you say, God, why are you doing this to me? And those, you get over those rather quickly. That's not a big deal. But then there's major issues in our lives, isn't there? I remember when I was 40 years old, my sister called me on the phone and said, Doug, I'm having some back problems, so 
I said, go see a chiropractor. You know, what, what are you, you going to say? Six weeks later, she was dead. Always been very, 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 very healthy. And, and I remember a godly woman who just wanted to follow Christ. She knew Christ as her Savior, just wanted to walk with him. And God, why are you doing this? So, you know, from the stubbing the toe to to the losing of a loved one that you're very close to, and, and anything in between. Have you not said, God, why are you doing this? If you've ever asked the why question, you're in good company. Saints of God, godly people, who are in relationship with God, have wrestled with that for millennia. And when you come to Psalm 73, you've got a young man, or I don't know how old he is, a man by the name of Asaph struggling with that very thing. We don't don't know for sure, but if this is the same Asaph that's mentioned in Chronicles, he would be like, um, he would kind of be like our brother here today that was leading us in worship. You know, he, he was the lead worship director, if you will, for the nation. He was the guy when they would gather at the tabernacle with David. He, he would be the guy that would lead the singing and make sure people are praising God. And what I love is that God has put into Scripture the struggles of this man's heart. As he, as he wrestles with not only, God, why are you doing this to me? I'm not a perfect man, but I, I do know you. Why me? But not just that. He's looking outside also at how God is allowing people that don't know him. Matter of fact, not only that don't know him, that are antagonistic to God. Why it is that their life just kind of floats along very nicely. And he looks at both and... He struggles. So what I want to do this morning is to enter into his struggle. See see what he goes through. And as we go through his struggle, I hope you'll read your story into his story. Because we all have them, folks. You may try to hide it. No, I just totally, perfectly trust God all the time. Well, that's great. Maybe you should be up here instead of me then. For most of us, we struggle and question from time to time. So let's enter into his world. A good man. You know, he's in relationship with God. And see what he experiences. Look at how he starts Psalm 73. He says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. He has his theology down, you know? The Bible's pretty clear on that one, isn't he? God is good to his people. So he just kind of makes this statement. He knows his theology. The problem is, sometimes our circumstances don't seem to gel with our theology, do they? So look what he says in verse 2. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped... I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant 
when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Perhaps if he was living in our day, he'd say, I'm bound to a rental, an apartment rental. Um, But I, I look across the street at some of these beautiful homes, and my car, it's 15 years old, and it's always being worked on. But I look across the street, and what do I see? I see this guy with four children, three cars, all brand new, own home, wants to have have nothing to do with God, laughs and mocks at what I do. Do do you see? And he just says, I look across the street and I I envy. Come on, God, if you're good to your people, why are you good to, why are they living the good life and not me? Haven't you struggled with that? What I want you to see um, and do, do we have a do you have a PowerPoint back there? If we could throw that up here. This, this hopefully this will make it clear and not more confusing. But it looks kind of like a fish hook. Do you see that? And 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 we're, we're going to kind of take this downward slide with Asaph because what you're going to find in verses four to fifteen as he talks through his life, he's going to say it gets worse and worse and worse. So we, we want to take that slide down with Asaph, but relax. There will be a turning point. Um, and so, so watch as we work, walk, work through this, because Asaph is going to say five things in this downward spiral. He's going to say, man, I cannot figure this thing out. First of all, look at verses 4 and 5. He says, when I look at those that are antagonistic to God, verse 4, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. I'm sick every day of my life. I'm going through this. This is happening to my wife and to my children and and I look at them, and their life is so easy. It looks like they never get sick. It just, they just kind of slide through life, and then one day they go out into eternity. He says, I don't, like, I don't understand that. And he says, and if that's all it was, then, 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 then maybe I could live with it, but it gets worse. Look, look at what he says in verse 6. Because doesn't the Bible say somewhere the goodness of God, in, in Romans 2, the goodness of God leads people to repentance? So, so you could say, well, you know, God is just being good to this person, so this person may come to see he's this incredible, holy God who still loves them, and they should accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. Right? You're going like, okay, maybe that makes sense. But, but Asaph says, no, it doesn't quite work that way. Look in verse 6. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. So their life is going well, and you would think that that would help them to say, wow, there must be a a great God that would be so kind to me, I need to know him. Uh -uh, Uh-uh, uh-uh. 
what happens instead is they say, I'm really good. Like, who needs God? And by the way, I think I'm going to misuse and abuse people because the world's about me, not about others. And so Asaph is thinking to himself, it's not just that they're prosperous, but that, that just motivates them to be even more proud and more antagonistic with others. Verse 7. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. Now that's pretty creative. They scoff and they speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Listen to this, folks. Verse 9. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. They say, I can do anything I want. Thank you, God, who needs you. And I can accomplish anything. Anything I want in this life. Almost sounds like a Disney flick. But, but anyway, do, do, do you see? And so Asaph looks out and he says, not only are they prosperous, but that prosperity promotes greater pride toward God and, and greater abuse and misuse of people. Like, that doesn't make any sense. God, God, what are you doing? Can you see why he asked the question, why? Why? Well, Don't you? When you look around? But it's worse than that. Look at what he says in verse 10. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? You know what he says? So I look at them. They're prosperous, which promotes greater pride and arrogance. But he says it's even worse than that. There's a whole bunch of people then that flock to them, want to follow them, and say the same arrogant thing back to God. God, what, like, God can I please explain to you this is not the way to run your world? They're doing well. They're more cocky, and now they've got a following. God, what are you doing? They're influencing these people who are saying the same kind of thing. Hey, who needs God? God doesn't know anyway. And Asaph says, I don't get it. But he says, it's worse than that. Look at verse 12. 12 is actually just a short reprieve. 13 is where I want to get. 12, this is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. And then verse 13, he says it gets worse. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishment. Do you remember that verse in, Jer- in, in Lamentations when Jeremiah says, the mercies of God are new every morning? Asaph says, that's not my experience. Every day, it's another punishment from God. When you look at my day, all day long, I can just say one thing about my day. It's terrible. 
you remember, I don't know, that children's book that was written years ago, back in the 70s? It was entitled, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Did you remember reading that? Okay. If Asaph was going to write a book, I think he'd entitle it this, Asaph and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Life. Because all day long, my life stinks. I go to bed, I get up the next day, and it's a whole nother set of problems. So it's not just that they're doing well and drawing people in and more arrogant toward God, but like if I was having the same experience, then you know, maybe. But my experience is awful. It's just this downward spiral, and there seems to be an upward spiral, and I don't understand it. But he says it's even worse than that. Look at what he says in verse 15. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. You know what he's saying? I'm here, they're there. But I'm the guy that leads you in worship every week. I can't tell anybody because I'm not supposed to be thinking this way. And certainly I'm not supposed to be verbalizing it. Do you see the downward spiral in this life? They're prosperous. That just promotes more pride and arrogance. They've got a following. My life stinks in comparison. And I can't tell anybody. Say, man, Finkbeiner, thanks for the encouraging words on a Sunday morning. Have you ever been there? We've all been there. Life just doesn't make sense. God, why are you doing this? What I love, what I love about this story, and it, it is always the beauty and the power of the gospel is that God does not come and change his circumstances, does he? Because if it was all about changing your circumstances, then that would curse some of us and bless others. This passage does something much better than that. I, I, I got a pair of glasses on here. Um, I'm, I'm nearsighted. So I can see you, but as things go back, it gets a bit, you get a bit more blobby to me. Okay, you know, like, you're just you're kind of lumps after a while. Um, and and what I desperately need is this, right? You know what God does in this passage? What happens to Asaph? God never changes his circumstances, does he? He just puts a set of lenses on his face. And that will change everything. Look at what the text says. Verse 16. When I tried to understand all this, it, it troubled me deeply. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. And I have to tell you something. I, I've thought about this passage a lot. And I don't have an answer exactly for this, okay? So I'll just tell you what I'm thinking. 
If Asaph was the lead worship guy, how often was he up at the sanctuary? Like a lot, right? What was different this time? I, I, I don't know. So here's this guy going up week after week, doing his thing, and while he's doing his thing, and his mind is saying, my life stinks, their life is doing well, I really envy them, God, what are you doing? I don't understand this. My theology says this, but my experience says this, right? I mean, this is, this is what he's struggling with. But he comes to the sanctuary this time. And in that moment, God turns somebody who is nearsighted and gives him a new set of lenses. And all of a sudden, he can see the long look, and that changes everything. And what I love about this passage is this. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, living the good life is never bound up in our circumstances. It's always bound up in our perspective. And God wants to open our eyes, as we read in Ephesians 1, so we might see what is true. Because for most of us, if you're like me, I go around living life like this. I can only see the near stuff. Bummer. My life, bummer. That guy, oh, why does he get that? Why that? What? Bummer. That's all I can see. The gospel is to come in Oh, it changes everything, doesn't it? So this guy comes up again to the sanctuary and lights go off. And all of a sudden, rather than seeing God through his circumstances, he sees his circumstances through God. Look at what he says. This, this person out there that does not know anything about God and doesn't care about God, this is not somebody to be envied. This is somebody to be pitied when he puts on those glasses and, and, and takes the long look rather than the short look. So now let's go back and look at them again. They may have four cars. They may have a beautiful home, a place down at the beach, a very good job, etc., 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 etc. But that's merely the short look. That's not the long look. This is what he says. Verse 18. When he looks at the lost. Surely, you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They're like a dream when one awakens. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. He uses the imagery of slipping and sweeping away and, and a dream to talk about the fact that the wicked are here today and gone tomorrow. One of the things we loved to do as a family was uh, go hiking. And, and, and I'll never forget, I think we were, I think, and, and we've been to a lot of different places, but I'm pretty sure it was World's End. I remember the event wherever it was. We were up at World's End, and they got, they got this wonderful creek. And so I'm like, I'm leading my young family across this creek, 
and and my boys are seven, eight, nine years of age, not too, not pretty young. And I look at them and I say, now, now guys, be, be very careful because there's there's moss on the rocks here and you could step on it and you could trip. And you know what my boys w- will say to me? Oh, yeah, well, whatever, Dad. Yeah, no, wh-. you know, they just, they don't listen. They're just like, oh, we're, and they're just like, jumping from rock to rock. And you, you know what happens, right? Exactly. So I'm just saying, now guys, be careful. Oh, yeah, whatever, Dad. They take a step, hit the moss, over, bang the knee, Cut, uh, you know, you, you, you know what I want to say. I want, I, I'm fighting it. Like, like I, what I want to say is, I told you so. That's what I want to say, right? But, you know, you, you try to do the spiritual thing, you know. But, but, but I, I've often thought of that. <laughs> you try to do the spiritual thing. Okay? Um, I've often thought of that image when I think of the lost world around us. I, um, thought it was tragic to hear about the death of Carrie Fisher and her mother, Debbie Reynolds. And uh, the only thing that I saw on TV when it was talking about it was, may the force be with you. Are you kidding me? Is that all you've got to go into out into eternity with? May the force be with you? And, 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 and I don't know much about their lifestyles and all, but, but my heart broke. And I, 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 I prayed that somehow maybe people would come to faith in Christ through all that. I don't know how. But it saddens me because here today, gone tomorrow, and the world is merely jumping from one stone to another, and then all of a sudden, it's gone. And, and it's not that they just merely fall down and hurt their knee. It's a tsunami. They are swept away. And they are gone. They, they are at best like a dream. You ever wake up and just had, I really had a weird dream last night. I, I don't understand dream therapy, but it's, I mean, boy, oh boy. We've all had dreams where you're like, that's weird. I hope nobody ever finds out about that one. It was just weird. Okay? Am I right? I mean, we just got really weird dreams. But, you know, you wake up and go like, oh, well, that was just a dream. Go on with life. It is as if God wakes up and that person who seemed like they were so central and so important, they were merely a fantasy, a dream. They're gone. Gone that quick. And Asaph looks out and instead of envying, he pities. Because eventually they will slip and be swept away and forgotten like a dream. That's sad to me, folks. Which is why we seek to reach them. Verse 21. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. I, I, I love that image. I love that image. Um, Asaph says this, when I don't have my glasses on, when I'm not able to take the spiritual long look and see the reality of the gospel and see the reality of who you are and see the reality of what you're doing and where everything ends up, I'm not a whole lot different than that cow that you drove by on your way to church today. 
I mean, honestly, if you would pull off the side of the road and go up to that cow and want to have a discussion with them and say, and say so talk to me, what do you see as some of the major issues of life? Have you contemplated what you're doing today as a cow in light of eternity? What would the cow do? Nothing. Right? And Asaph says, I'm like a cow. When I, I mean, when I don't put those glasses on, like I'm no different than that animal sitting over there. He's just chewing the cud, looking for the next thing to eat. Because all I can see is that. He says, you know, my heart was clouded to what is true. Does that not happen to us? Do we not live sometimes like we're just an animal? We can't see beyond immediate gratification. That's all we can say. So Asaph says, when I put on the glasses, I saw them differently, and I see myself differently. Look at what he goes on to say in verse 23. Yet, I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. You know, when I put the glasses on, yeah, I don't have the cars they have. I don't have the house they have. I don't get the vacations they get. All true, all true, all true. But I have God. I know God because... Jesus has forgiven me. And I'm in relationship with him. And everywhere that Doug Finkbeiner goes, God is there. And everywhere I'm going to go, God is already there and he's guiding me. And when I get done with the whole journey of life, guess what? I go into eternity with God. Now you tell me what the good life is. It's the good life... Life having this thing and that thing and this thing, none of which will last, all of which still leaves me empty in my soul? Or is it much better to put on these glasses and saying, I have God. He's with me. He will be with me. He will be with me for all eternity. Do you see? And, and Asaph says, why would I envy them? They don't have God. He goes on to say this. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Folks, you know what God wants to do? God wants to take nearsighted believers. He wants to take blinded, lost people and give them eyes that can see the gospel, right? We know that. 2 Corinthians 4. But he wants to take nearsighted believers and help them to put on the glasses and say, life is all about God. Lord, when I think about how merciful and great and wonderful you are, no, I don't have all that stuff. Fair enough, fair enough. 
I have you. And besides you, I desire nothing in heaven on earth itself. All I want is you. And folks, that changes everything, doesn't it? And so he gets to the end of the psalm. And he says, Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Don't you love that? Isn't that what the gospel does? The gospel frees us wherever we are by not changing our circumstances, but by changing us in the midst of our circumstances. Do you see the difference? And he does that by opening up our eyes so we can see what is really true. And all of a sudden, this guy at the beginning that was going, bummer, it's not fair, why can't I have that? Mm." All that stuff. At the end, it's going, holy mackerel, I got God. And I can't wait to go tell people about it. And his circumstances haven't changed a bit. And that's the beauty of the gospel. It touches us and it reaches us with the reality of who we are and it doesn't matter where we are. It only matters whose we are. And that changes everything. This passage is all about living by faith rather than by sight. This passage is all about realizing that the good life is always bound up in nearness to God. Would you think about this for a moment? Asaph doesn't know half of what you and I know. Did Asaph know that that God the Son would write himself literally into our story. God with us. Can you get any nearer than that? Asaph didn't know that. But we have experienced God coming near, writing himself into our story, so that we might become part of his story. Isn't that marvelous? You, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you know so much more than Asaph. You know Christ. And so when you read about him with us and guiding us and being with him in glory, they saw it in black and white. You see it in doby color, in all of its fullness and richness. God has come near. And living the good life is all about nearness to God in the person of His Son. Now I have to just end with one thing. You may be listening to this and saying, okay, 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 got it, Doug, got it. I've been a believer for a long time. I've taught this passage. I get it. But I'm still nearsighted. So how do I get the... How do I get that sanctuary experience? Okay? Because okay, you're saying we think one way and all of a sudden we should be thinking a different way and our eyes open up. Like, how do I do that? I don't know that you do it. 
All I can say is this. You, like Asaph, continue to place yourself in a position where God's Spirit can work. Could it happen in a service on a Sunday morning? Yep. That, that could be part of the time where somebody who's really quite nearsighted goes like, wow! Could, could it happen as we're worshiping together? Yeah. Could, could it happen at home when, whether you feel like it or not, you open up the Scriptures and you just say, God, my soul is parched. I know I'm in trouble. I don't know what to do. Please speak to me. Mm-hmm. Could it happen as you fall down and you pray Ephesians 1 and you say, God, please open up my eyes spiritually that I might see the reality and the fullness of the gospel? Yeah, could happen there too. And I would, I would encourage you, if your soul is parched and you're in Psalm 73, 1 to 15, place yourself in a setting where God can work. I'm not going to go to the church anymore. Really? That's a, well, I feel like a hypocrite. No, come! I, I don't want to tell anybody about this. I, I, I'm a leader around here. Speak! Share! Call some, a friend up and say, man, my soul is parched. Help! Pray for me! Do it. Read! Sing! Wait on God. And God in His time for His glory and for your good, will open up your eyes. And you will have the experience of Psalm 73, 16 and following, rather than Psalm 73, 1 to 15. Does that make sense? Folks, we all struggle. And we kind of do it in waves. Do you know what the problem is with me? There are times when I put on the glasses and I'm going like, whoa, God, this is so good. And then I take them off. A couple weeks later. God in his grace, through a comment of a friend or as I'm reading or hear something in church, I go like, whoa, like what was I thinking? Do you see? So you keep placing yourself in a setting where God can open up blinded eyes if you're lost and help nearsighted people to see the big picture and live by faith rather than by sight. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can call you Father. We're not very faithful children often, Lord. But we thank you that our relationship at the end of the day is not based on us, it's based on Jesus. We thank you that we're accepted in the beloved. We thank you that we're forgiven because of Christ. We thank you that you never stop working in our hearts to make us more like him. So Lord, I don't know where the congregants are today, perhaps some in here are blinded. They've never truly bowed the knee to Jesus Christ. And Lord, we would pray that they would know the joy of coming into the family of God even this day. 
But for the majority, Lord, all of us believers who struggle, would you through your spirit open our eyes to take the long look and not to be nearsighted? Father, do your good work for your glory and for our good. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. As we come to the close of our...